Yeah, I don't know, man. You ever just feel like life is just catapulting towards like, some greater purpose? The only DJ crazy enough to tattoo Jackie Brown on his ass. This is Michael Mann, and I ride with extended clip. I could probably find it with movieparadise.org now, but I couldn't find a file of Bruno Dumont's The Life of Jesus. Uh, so I went out and like rented a DVD and it was like, yeah, it was that type of quality you were talking about. Like it must have been like, I don't know when they first started coming out with DVDs, but like this might have been a 90s DVD. But uh, um, it was like double letterboxed and like that. Oh, quality. the dreaded double letterboxed. It was, it was literally like uh, unwatchable. Like I was like, I can't, yeah. I literally can't do it. So yeah, those old watching. DVDs from like the late 90s are horrific a lot of them the double letterbox is ridiculous for those who don't know what we're talking about it's like dvds were still being made for full screen tvs the four by three tvs rather than widescreen so to properly present uh an anamorphic or widescreen film they would you know uh you know letterbox it classic but then when you throw that on a widescreen tv uh, it just becomes another, you know, full letterboxing around the frame, like a black barrier uh, of, you know, 10% of your screen or so uh, <laughs> around the image. And 10% might even be generous. It it makes the image look tiny. I remember my, uh, my blue not Blu-ray, my DVD of Annie Hall was a blockbuster <laughs> rental from the 90s that my dad kept and I just took from his house. And uh, it's unwatchable. Absolutely unwatchable. <laughs> that's, a, that's a fun movie to have, like, in a distorted quality or something yeah. like that. You might, you might need to, like, you know, just, just for memory lane's sake, you might need to pop that in and just, you know, remind you of the roots where it all Remind came me of from. where I came yeah, from. Yeah, exactly. I guess we, you know, uh, we don't need to catch the audience up on why we were talking about DVDs. It's what we do. Yeah, that's that's normally what we're doing. Just assume before the podcast starts any time, we just had a nice conversation about DVD aspect ratio, <laughs> DVD video quality. That's probably honestly like 75, 75 to 50% of the time, that's on the money. Absolutely. I did just uh, go to a closeout sale of one of the final independent video stars in the San Fernando Valley and... Uh, or at least in Reseda, and uh, I uh, I got the deal. You know, they got uh, eight movies for twenty bucks. I snagged a uh, hot new Blu-ray of Woody Allen's A Rainy Day in New York. <laughs> that's one of my eight picks. The other seven, well, that's just for me to know and you to find out. It is. It is. Rainy Day in New York is quickly becoming a Seven Eleven bin classic. I've seen it in other ones. <laughs> I don't think like this is going to be. Hard to sell. Hard to sell at a high rate. So, so, and also, like, I, I went to a Target the other day. They don't even have, like, a Blu-ray sec, like a DVD Blu-ray section anymore. So it's like... Really? That's disgusting. At least the one in uh, Los Banos does wow. not, uh, not have one. So hey, I guess film culture is dying over there if they can't access the new Woody Allen movie. Yeah. No, I, I know they vastly downsized them at my local Target, uh, the, the DVD and Blu-ray stack. Uh, but... I mean, it basically went from a section down to one little display with new 4Ks of, you know, the Marvel stuff, basically. And yeah, that's that's what it was, because there was like it was just one movies. little display. Right. Yeah. It was yeah. like near the the cat. You'd like the checkout 
you know, and whatnot. Exactly. So, but I've, you I've could got... buy you could buy Stuber on 4K for eighty three dollars. But back in the day, you used, used to get uh, a four in one DVD of some Jerry Lewis movies for five bucks. You oh, know? absolutely! But, Throw uh, on one of those uh, Happy Madison combo packs from, oh, yeah. from Target. Come just on. like huge buckets in like Walmart's that <laughs> yes. would have like just a fuck ton of mix. You just spend like hours there, just sorting through till you find your gold. When I was first buying DVDs and shit. I remember seeing this Quentin Tarantino multi-pack uh, and it was like fucking $5 for three of his movies on DVD or whatever. And I was just like, how do they, how do they even make money on this? This guy's <laughs> supposed to be like one of the best directors to give away his movies. That just shows how, what a great man Quentin Tarantino is. He would, he would like devalue his own merchandise in order to spread that knowledge to the world. So it's like, I mean, hey, people give him flack for like being in the intro of a Chungking Express DVD or whatever. Hey, man, he was just trying to teach you something. Yeah. <laughs> if you're going to give Quentin Tarantino flack for something, it's probably for living in Tel Aviv right now. I think I think that's maybe the one hey, thing that I'm going to give him flack for. Wait, wait. Let's let's make let's pause. Pray for uh, a situation. Okay. Uh, <laughs> pray for the situation. Yeah. And let's hope QT is safe. God, <laughs> you could you could cut that if uh, need be. It's it's fine. We don't need to we don't need to go any further. It's extended clip. It's episode one oh six. I'm one of your hosts, Eddie Averill. I'm Malcolm Baum. I'm JT White. Or I could be a double agent. Oh, yeah. So Malcolm is doing some intel for us this week <laughs> on Spy Week of Extended Clip. He's up on the northern end of our great state of California. Uh, tricking some people into thinking that he's one of them when he's really one of us. Yeah, uh, Mal- Malcolm, how's it hanging up there? It's yeah, I am. I am on like some CIA type shit right now. Um, <laughs> they they it, similar to the movie we're talking about, Dishonored. I've been hired to you know seduce uh, women or whatever, and it hasn't really it hasn't really been going so hot. I don't know. Maybe <laughs> they, they might transfer me to a, a different field when it comes to this espionage <laughs> stuff, but. Uh, I don't know. I'm going to keep trying. I'm going to keep, uh, you know, shooting my shot. So uh, just imagining uh, <laughs> Malcolm in fucking like the devil probably mode, just like on the side of the road, just blank stare saying, I don't care about life. I don't care about death either. And then some guy being like, all right, you're hired. You're going to fuck the, the Russian spy lady, <laughs> the gender swapped dishonored starring Malcolm. Uh, and and it's, instead of dishonored, it's called dis I honor. <laughs> Like this is what you honor? Yeah, yeah. yeah okay, yeah, okay. Yeah. Just to just to just to clarify, just to clarify. <laughs> so the double feature this week: Dishonored by Joseph von Sternberg, and uh, Cliff Walkers by Zhang Mu. Cliff Walkers is a new film, 2021, and Dishonored is from 1931. And Malcolm, why did you pick these two movies? Well, you know what? It is the movie theaters are open, and it is like you know. Uh, Love to like, always, you know, I love to look at the listings, be like, well, this is all bullshit. I can't see any of that. But I saw one. I'm like, Cliff Walker's cool name. Zhang Yamu. That's a, you know, I haven't really gone into his filmography that much yet, but I've seen a couple movies. So he seems like to be a reliable name. And I checked it out and I had a good time. So I wanted to, you know, bring it to the pod. You know, hey, uh, <laughs> I want to encourage listeners to support their local movie theater. And uh, <laughs> uh, I don't know. I'm going in promo mode, but, um, uh, yeah. And then I was, you know, it kind of reverse engineered it. Right. I'm like, well, what's something that pairs well with cliff walkers. And I looked up like movies about like Imperial Japan and there's like a lot of like, uh, 
kind of like torture movies or whatever, or like kind of like, you know, um, extreme horror movies about like the evils Japan did, uh, you know, during that time. But I was like, I don't know if I want to, uh, I don't know <laughs> if I want to watch that right now. So I, I went, went a little more classic and I went with Dishonored, Sternberg, Dietrich. And I, I'd already seen this, but I, I knew it was going to go up um, in my estimates with a rewatch. And that's, that's a combo that, that never loses in my opinion. So uh, you know, I just wanted you guys to have a good time is the short answer. Yeah, I mean, we haven't done Money Malcolm in a while, but I think to bet on a Dietrich von Sternberg movie is about as easy money as you're ever going to get. Yeah. Quick Money Malcolm segment. I'm, I'm Malcolm. Kramer, and welcome to my world. You need to get in the game. Go out of business and he's nuts. They're nuts. They know nothing. I uh, bet five bucks on the A's money line today and they won, so... Great. That's what I call Moneyball. Any thoughts on them relocating? Uh, I mean, if it if it if it if that happens and like it's like an owner switching in the process, I'd be okay with it. But they're like they might move if they move to San Jose. That kind of sucks, to be honest. (laughs) Yeah, that is that is not even a lateral move. That is just bad. That's bad management. Let's start with Cliff Walker's. Since it's the hot new release, I, I think more people are probably looking online for Cliff Walker's reviews than Dishonored reviews, surprisingly, <laughs> uh, <laughs> just for the sake of it being a new movie that is in theaters in certain locations. So this is a period piece, uh, early 30s, kind of the same period as Dishonored. I think it takes place a couple years. Well, same period that Dishonored was produced. Dishonored yeah. takes place during World War One. This movie takes place a few years after the production of Dishonored, if you want to make <laughs> the grand old timeline. So four communist agents in uh, early 1930s Manchukuo, which is a Japanese-controlled puppet state, uh, they are you know, extracting an escapee from a Japanese internment camp. Uh, so this is... Yeah, if you want to play it as a a Chinese propaganda movie, uh, whether you're looking to to get all gassed up about it in a positive <laughs> or negative way, the angle is there. Uh, it is a movie about you know fi- uh, fighting for your local comrade or whatever <laughs> your fellow comrade, not your local. It actually uh, quite a wide girth. Uh, eh, I don't know if girth is the right word, but girth a and wide. Dunnage. Yeah, girth and dunnage. <laughs> Skip's got in my mind there, but the breadth of land kind of that is covered by these characters, not even on screen, is pretty great. Going from the Soviet Union into this uh, Japanese-controlled uh, Chinese territory. It's a it's a pretty simple setup that gets more and more convoluted as it goes, as it is kind of a typical spy movie in that regard. Uh, you, your four agents pair up and go their own ways and encounter some people that might be on their side. They might not be on their side. Uh, the the head like Japanese military or police official for that area, Gao, deploys his own spies that pretend to be communist spies, and uh, it's a it's a battle of the wits. But more importantly, it is a visual feast. It is just like I don't know. I don't want to say indulgent because that comes off uh, negative. But I think what Zhang Yimou accomplishes here with the form and the style of just making a pure 
classic uh, twisty, turny genre movie is fantastic. I don't want to say like paint by the numbers because I feel like that Mm -hmm. has like a very negative connotation, but it is like, I don't know, exactly what you want when you buy the ticket for a spy thriller. Yeah. And just the formal approach is so beautiful. I think there are a few times where he does like those aerial shots. Oh yeah. Like a few times we'll deploy them. Like I think during like specific chases and it's just, I don't know, such a pleasure to see. Well, there's Mm -hmm. two very distinct types of aerial shots too. There's the very masterful, like mounted symmetrical shot. There's one of those in the trailers during one of the action set pieces, but then the also uh, a key aerial shot is the point of view of them all parachuting into their mission in the very beginning, like one of the first images, if not the very first image of the film, just soaring through the air. It looks like someone just threw a camera out of an airplane. It's just so frenetic, but the images are so like sharp. I don't know. There's something very, very sharp and cold about the digital photography here uh the mix of the greenery and the totally whited out bluffs of snow are just so striking and Mm -hmm. uh the characters all just bundled up their faces obscured and you know characters having their faces obscured in this uh will only lead to more deception (laughs) and i think from the first moments uh of people talking in you know uh strange code zangyamu is committed to kind of like boiling this down to more of an aesthetic Uh, an aesthetically coherent story than a narrative one but you know at the end i don't want to say love wins out uh, (laughs) (laughs) or communism wins out uh but when when you get that message that you know the the film is dedicated to comrades all across the world or whatever that last message is sorry i'm forgetting it i didn't take notes during the viewing at the multiplex (laughs) once you get that message it all kind of simplifies it in a good way it's like you're confused while you're watching it you take in all of the aesthetic uh all the aesthetic pleasures that Yumu is giving you and narratively you can piece it together during the end credits. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And I think that one thing I like about it, if you're tackling it from the angle of like for the fallen comrades of that era, I love that the story goes from like character to character and it's not like, I mean, I think you could make an argument that like definitely the central one is the, um, the man who has who previously lived in that territory and has children who are like yeah. uh, and poor. It's, uh, the character Zhang, and it's also the guy from fucking Mountains Made to Part. Yeah, turning in yet another fantastic performance here. But he gets like taken out, uh, like pretty early yeah. on, and mm-hmm. you follow a bunch of different spy path lines, and I think that flows really well. One with just like keeping you on the edge of your seat in like a genre thriller way, but also like uh, really works to that message of like, I don't know, all of these comrades sacrificing themselves for a greater cause. Yeah. You know, like to speak to kind of like uh, the structure and kind of like how the, you know, maybe the plot unwinds it is like, yeah, it is maybe at first a bit kind of uh, maybe a bit confusing, but I feel like this adds to kind of like the spy thriller tension, right? Like, and like, I feel like 
with each kind of like scene, it's not like the movie as it goes along, it makes less sense, but there's just more things to consider. There's more, uh, more players in the, you know, the game, you know, as there's like people coming in disguised as like, uh, you know, uh, communist agents secretly being, you know, uh, tools for Japan and whatnot, you know, as example. And like all of this kind of, uh, like it, it, yeah, like I said, it compounds tension while also kind of like adding the, you know, this going into kind of like the more, you know, spy genre elements of like who did what, who did this. And like to speak to the visual style, it is like this does feel like one of like a veteran director because mm-hmm. it is it is impressive. It's not like it's not like it, but it's not showy at all. It, it has more of a savvy to it. And it, and it, it does his style can adapt given the situation because it is like you do have some like kind of more you know kind of punchy action scenes but then like you know once we get to the torture camps it's like we even have like some some horror like feel and like some of the gore is a bit extreme in places where you don't um expect it and it kind of just creates like a very um distinct and singular mood yeah absolutely i mean also i think a misconception about state-funded cinema slash Mm -hmm. propaganda is the notion of it being watered down. Yeah. What you just said about the torture scenes proves that to be completely false. Uh, It is, and it's it's rousing for the sake of the Chinese Communist Party, but it is also (laughs) fucking gory. Like, it's it's pretty intense. Uh, I I really was taken aback at every sight of blood in this movie. Uh, even some of the CG stuff, you know, like it it did more for me than that kind of thing usually does. And I think it's just because of the visual atmosphere that Yumu is able, uh, because of the visual atmosphere that Zhang Yumu is able to build around those moments of heightened violence uh, that really make them piercing. It also has that back lot feel kind of, you know, not when they're in the wilderness, but when they're in that town uh, or the city, rather, I guess. Uh, it, yeah, it just feels kind of like a classic Hollywood back lot, like approximation of a historical place uh, that's really just designed for optimal production, you know, optimal camera movement and staging and whatnot. Well, yeah, I feel like that's how I kind of like I, I I saw this movie, you know, before the, the two of you did, and I kind of sold it to you guys. Like, kind of has like that classic Hollywood feel to it, and you know that that is like kind of due to kind of like the style, and, you know, I, and that plays in you know to like I guess you know Yamu's making a, a period piece here, so he's going to do that, of course. But I don't know. It is like there's a lot of scenes on trains, a lot of, you know, a lot of hats being worn, a lot of, uh, (laughs) like, it's just, it's, it just, everything about it, like, kind of just felt classic to me. Yeah. Even, even the later end of the classic period, like because of the cinemascope compositions and stuff, you know, and especially because of that harmonica that keeps coming in the, (laughs) in the score almost reminds me of like Sergio Leone that like, obviously he's not a, a classic Hollywood guy, but coming in right at the tail end of that system collapsing, uh, and the other cinemascope 50s and 60s Hollywood directors definitely came to mind. Uh, but yeah, it's just like almost cartoonishly violent like Leone. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I also think that, as you said, it's kind of restrained. It's not too showy. And uh, yeah, I, I just think it's a, a really solid uh, spy thriller. 
Yeah, Zhang Yimou is the classic man of the week. Oh, absolutely, right the Jidenna of the week. <laughs> I was going to say, uh, we got to shout out um, Chaplin showing up in the movie, oh, right? yes, with, I with forgot the, that they go see... Uh, Gold Rush? Gold Rush. Gold Rush. Yeah. yeah, and you see the potato scene, or the bread rolls, or whatever they are. And, like, I don't know. It is, like, this is maybe going galaxy brain. And also, disclaimer, I know nothing about politics before speaking about this. But it is, like... It is state-sponsored uh, propaganda, as the detractors like to to mention. I, I read like a, a couple reviews, and like they kind of just revolve around that aspect or whatever, which I think mm-hmm. is like definitely the wrong way to watch this movie. Even if like, yeah, I've already mentioned it yeah. too many times yeah. for what this movie yeah. is. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, and like even in like a, a pro way, even though I'm sure I guess you could find a way to enjoy it in that sense, but it is like. I don't know, like kind of the sadness felt at the end of this movie, kind of the like kind of the bleak way it ends. I'm not saying Zhang is like uh, denouncing anything, but I feel like he's just, I don't know. I feel like he wants to realize the pain more so than I feel like this is like a, a propaganda piece or trying to drive home a message or anything like that. So that's kind of how I felt from it. Yeah, I mean, if he's looking to show the pain of the common person, uh, as there are, you know, toasts to the proletariat in Russian and Mandarin back to back at one point, even uh, there's no one else to connect that with more than Chaplin, you know, Chaplin, who was later, of course, exiled for his, you know, leftist uh, sympathies, as well as some other stuff, Uh, you know, apparently J. Edgar Hoover. (laughs) like was a big booster of the uh the chaplain pedophile uh angle as a well, way to kind of get him out of there i mean i mean hey i'm not saying it's not true <laughs> i'm not saying it's not true i'm just saying for that angle of exiling chaplain uh hoover was a booster of it hoover was like oh that's a way to get him out of here yeah well it's like i i'm like not to i'm sure there's a lot of other I, I, fellows yeah, I, around yeah. that time who were also you know we don't need to we don't need to to put Chaplin on trial i guess yeah. my, my little blurb, the ones who hate me the most look like me <laughs> as they say <laughs> but uh um i my, i guess to you know to wrap it all up zeng yamu is a chaplain leftist okay, okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh four bullets Okay, I'm going three and a half on this one. I think it's really good. And uh, JT? Yeah, I'm going four bullets as well. Awesome. We'll be right back on Extended Clip. I, I like the Lemley Noho. The Lemley Noho usually has good projection. It's in Van Nuys. Cinemark, I've seen terrible projection at. I, I think I've seen yeah. good projection, and I've seen terrible projection. Damn, there are a lot of screenings in this. Last movie I remember seeing at the Cinemark Noho was uh, Jigsaw, the Ooh. 2017 Saw iteration. And I look at the calendar, and other Saw movies coming out. We'll, yeah. we'll talk about it later. Yeah. We'll talk about it later. <laughs> <laughs> and we're back. On extended clip. It's Malcolm in the middle. Life is unfair. <laughs> Malcolm, have you watched anything lately? You got to say that every time. Uh, life is unfair after. But uh, yeah, you know what? They've been calling me Mr. Brand New lately. Because I've been seeing <laughs> new movies. They're calling me, who's this new motherfucker walking into the movie theater? It's me. And I saw Wrath of Man starring Jason Statham. Directed by Guy Ritchie. Now, Guy Ritchie 
there's a lot of opinions on Guy Ritchie. I'd realized, I don't think I'd seen um, any of his movies before seeing this. I don't, or none of the classics, none of the ones that people talk about, at least. Just off my head, off the top of my head, I'm going to say this is the only Guy Ritchie movie I've seen. And if this is a, any indication of his further filmography, I do have to say I'm a, I'm a big fan of this movie. It was, uh, I mean, Statham, I'm already kind of a, a big fan of Statham, but it's not, this movie doesn't eat, like, it has some Statham, but um, what I like about this movie, it has, like, kind of a lot of different um, kind of subplots. And, like, what it's about is... Uh, Jason Statham is uh, a new employee at like a Brinks truck, like the money truck that uh, collects monies uh, for from ATMs and shit like that. And uh, there's this new robbery group uh, led by uh, Scott Eastwood, Little Eastwood. And basically, uh, Jason's like in a roundabout way, it's revealed. Well, I guess maybe, you know what? I guess I won't spoil it. It's a new release. But uh, anyways, this, this movie's just... I don't know. Like it, it has all the heist stuff. It has a lot of heist planning. It has a lot of Statham kicking some ass. And I don't know. There's it kind of just has an interesting kind of non-traditional structure and how it doles out the information that I was a fan of. And you know what? I've I've always wondered what you know what's going on in those money trucks. How's what's going on there? And this movie gave me some insight to that situation, assuming that all the information they gave me is real. So, uh, <laughs> uh, you know what? Big fan, big fan of wrath of man. Awesome. I, I'm going to have to check that one out. JT. I, I mean, to add a little bit there on guy, Ritchie, I feel like kind of like hit or miss for me. I like his Sherlock Holmes movies really suck. Mm. Um, but he did the man from uncle, um like movie uh a few years ago surprisingly pretty good really okay. fun time yeah i i despise those sherlock holmes movies but Same. like i'm sure that's not his bag like in terms of like the, the the real deal you know yeah you know come to think of it yeah i did see like the second uh i was gonna call it robert downey the second uh sherlock holmes in theaters and that was a big snooze fest so. i don't remember if i saw the second one but i saw the first one and it was ooh major snooze thought i remember thinking about transformers during that movie <laughs> i watched it with my mom and my sister and i was thinking about transformers you're like th that movie was heavy steampunk you're like i just want i just want robots and i didn't even those. like transformers yeah. I, I don't know why but i just remember like i'd rather be watching transformers i mean hey you know at least <laughs> at least those movies have cool cars that's true and babes <laughs> yeah and babes. babes and babes baby absolutely speaking of babes i yes. watched a movie with a few um <laughs> it's highlander uh from 1986 um yeah i don't know i feel like normally i'm a little apprehensive about like going through like because i don't I don't necessarily think uh, Highlander is a, a canon classic by any stretch of the imagination, but it's one of those 80s movies that people talk about. Yeah, it's a big movie. Yeah, and it's like big movies from the 80s, I feel like, have the most whiffs. Like, I think the overall the 80s was like a great time mm -hmm. for movies in general, but like a lot of the ones that like you hear people talk about frequently Suck. are just, yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. they're bad. Yeah. Um, and so I was a little skeptical going into Highlander, but I had some friends from work who were really pitching it to me. And I like went in knowing very little other than that, like uh, Lambert 
Connery are in it and that Lambert lives for like hundreds of years. And uh, <laughs> I it's Lambert. honestly <laughs> the, the cinematography in it is really, really good. And it looks like a very beautiful movie most of the time. But I was also surprised that how much of it is like split in like 1500 Scotland and then like present day 1980. Oh, okay. I wasn't expecting there to be like fucking sword fighting in the 80s. And that like weird clash of like, it, it has the feeling of like being a bunch of different movies um, and in, in a really fun way. Um, I don't know. It's like Connery is playing a Spanish like a Spanish speaking Egyptian guy in it. That's fun. I like it's so fucking stupid, like the plot of all of it, but like you got some great Clancy Brown action. Like this one, like honestly, really worth it. Like, uh, it, insanely dumb plot, but I was hooting and hollering. All that sounds great, but it's like I, I just gotta see what Lambert's up to, too. I just, I'm remembering Christopher Lambert's performance in The Sicilian, and that's you know good or bad it's like one of the most baffling things i've ever seen so it, he, it is it, it, it we is. need to do more of uh christopher lambert's oeuvre on the absolutely sure. that yeah. was like another thing is like the lambert performances <laughs> where he's fighting i mean are mostly silhouetted and i've like i'm trying to find up a tr like production uh stuff about it because i'm like I've read that Lambert has gotten into a, he's gotten a lot of injuries from like trying to do his own stunts on set because he, he's like he's blind he's blind and it's like why are you fucking doing that but it's like on I didn't high realize he was blind until after we talked about the Sicilian I just and, found like, that out just, right now yeah but looking back like the Sicilian right after we had that lengthy discussion and I love it. I I gave the Sicilian more credit than almost anyone will uh, <laughs> to think about those action scenes in him having absolutely no depth perception is fucking hilarious it's, it's, it's just, like no, it's like Samino editing Sun Chaser blindfolded, yeah. blindfolded in the booth stitching yeah. together uh, scenes uh, 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 Samino knew feeling. Samino pure could feeling. relate yeah but it's like I want to believe that even though it's silhouetted, like it's Lambert there and not just a stunt <laughs> double, but it has to be. Uh, it's like in in just him normally like talking to someone, it's like he's talking to like someone like right beside that person. <laughs> <laughs> it's so fucking funny. It's like it's what worth a god it for that. Yeah, yeah. It's why did you I just don't know why anyone thought he would be like a charismatic guy to put in movies. Yeah. But it's so fun to see. Um, hey, it only speaks to the 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 quality of filmmakers who are able to shape great movies around him. You know, yeah. Uh, when you see him in a real, even like a good movie, like as you're describing, you know, maybe not like an amazing movie, but like something you have fun with still. Uh, then when you see him in an actually bad movie, it's just like, oh boy, it's <laughs> <laughs> this is as inept as it gets. Because if someone doesn't know how to work around his idiosyncrasies, you don't get any of the strengths at all. You know? Yeah, yeah. That's a good point. Because the strengths are there. The strengths are absolutely there. I think he's one of the most yeah. strangely charismatic stars of the era, for sure. To tag on to that, like, I, I guess uh, I also saw the new Godzilla versus Kong movie. Obviously, it fucking sucked. But it's like... Yeah, I saw you hit it with the hard one bullet. It <laughs> oh, was it's awful. It's fucking garbage. Like, it's not even, like, it's not even mediocre. Like, it is actively bad. But, um... 
Uh, it like one of the worst parts. It's like it stars Alexander Skarsgård and Rebecca Hall. Give me Lambert. Give me. <laughs> give me someone with an ounce of charisma. That you is know it's so funny. I saw your tweet about that, and I didn't even realize you were talking about Godzilla. Yeah. I thought it was just like some other blockbuster that was coming up. I'm like, all right, that's probably some terrible movie I'll never even hear about. <laughs> yeah, that that was insane to me. It's where like, did all the stars go? I mean, they're, they're all probably... on TV shows, exactly. which are you know, which the franchise movies counts as TV shows. Uh, they're all on TV shows now. <laughs> Damn. I watched a movie that uh, starred a great star, Michelle Simone. Uh, <laughs> Bodu saved from drowning. Now, Malcolm, um, do you remember offhand which Adam Sandler movie Armand White said oh. was Sandler's Bodu saved from drowning? Because I couldn't find it, but I know we've discussed this before. But regardless, I'll, I'll talk about Bodu. You can spin your wheels on that on your end. It must be. It must be Happy Gilmore. Right? You think no? so? I mean, it is kind of the one where he's shaped from a slob into a snob or into being accepted by snobs. But, uh, it, you know, he has that arc or a similar arc in a few films. True. Uh, I feel off. like it was a. I feel like it was a later film though that yeah. he compared it to. But regardless, Bodu saved from drowning. Bodu, he's a tramp, but he's not like the little tramp because he doesn't have a heart of gold and he's not gonna tug at your heartstrings. He is uh, just like a lecherous bum who is just like <laughs> the most funny and charismatic dude ever. And he's just this oaf. And uh, he decides that life's not worth living anymore. And, you know, as as an oaf who has felt, you know, I'm not going to say similar things lately, but I'm not doing great lately. I, I saw a lot of myself in Bodu in this movie. <laughs> and so i'm just looking for my french old-timey bourgeoisie couple to take me in and make me into a proper man you know (laughs) but uh yeah so he jumps off of a bridge while uh a a proper bourgeoisie man is looking at him through a a telescope and you get some great pov shots through the scope you know uh and he he saves his life after the attempted suicide by drowning and he teaches him how to be a proper man. It's kind of like the wild child, but instead of an, like the educational uh, and child de- development film, it's just like a classic, you know, teaching a bum how to be accepted it by society. But it's all the classic Jean Renoir, uh, like satire of French bourgeoisie values and also the pure poetry of his camera and his staging and the kind of fleeting editing that just makes i don't know there's something so elastic about time in jean renoir movies especially in the 30s i always think about the big time jump that's part of just like the failure of the production of a day in the country but it kind of informs for me how uh characters move through time in his movies uh and how you know he just has these incredibly poetic images that sometimes take you away from the drama, but then you realize after, of course, how much those images on their own uh, mean in regards to the character that he's showing you in the drama. And uh, yeah, Renoir in the 30s, man. You really can't get much better than that, can you? No, you can't. And I just looked up the whole time trying to find that Armand White thing and could not find it. But uh he he's also, he's referenced that movie a couple times, so that's that's yeah. in his that's in his his arsenal. 
uh, we'll we'll tweet at him or something. We, yeah. we need to get the answer. <laughs> uh, we'll be right back on Extended Clip. extended clip talking about Joseph von Sternberg's Dishonored. This is this is the third film he made with Marlena Dietrich, I believe. It's the second one in the box set, but the box set does not include the Blue Angel. Oh. Yeah, right? That's Weird. a that's a good one. Yeah, Blue Angel's great. Not as good as this one though. Well, we'll get to it. It's hard but no, wait, I, it's hard to say, but Before we do that, I like like I, I've pretty much enjoyed pretty much every, you know, Dietrich von Sternberg combo I've seen, but also so, like sometimes they kind of bleed together in my head. So I don't, I really couldn't rank them if you, if you tried, but maybe that's just yeah. me being a novice. I don't know. No, I think them bleeding together is a good thing though. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, for me it is at least maybe I'm just dumb and that's my excuse for it, but uh <laughs> Like I, I totally forgot about uh, one of the the piano pieces that she plays throughout this, and I got it kind of conflated with the song that she sings in the Blue Angel. And uh, you know, there's a lot of images that I think are gonna come in one film and then come in another as I rewatch these films. And I think that his consistent style, Joseph von Sternberg's consistent style across his career, uh, speaks to that. It's not that he's always just like the same thing over and over, but he always has these, you know, crazy, heavily diffused shots and, you know, the the totally different lighting schemes for his close-ups of Dietrich that are just so ridiculous. Like, he just perfects her face. Oh, yeah. And you have those stilted performances from Dietrich that are clearly just, like, attuned to where exactly she needs to stand for lighting and how she needs to stare for it to look perfect and then that kind of inhumane quality plus her ridiculous allure just being one of the great screen presences of all time bringing what would be kind of a stage or even i don't want to say wooden performance but the way that he stages her oftentimes is kind of stilted just to get the perfect shot like she kind of her her body movement can be a bit unnatural sometimes you know Mm -hmm. but regardless uh I, i think that combination of the way he shoots her with her ridiculously magnetic performances just creates some of the greatest cinema in history. Like it's, it's hard to beat Mm -hmm. stuff like this in Morocco and Shanghai express, you know? No. Yeah. Like, um, you know, going into kind of it, maybe feeling stilted, I guess it, like I did notice on the, cause this is my second time watching this. I think this has to do with the era in which it's made. Right. It's like, sound uh you know sound technology is just kind of coming to movies or whatever but there's like a, a kind of like uh i don't know there's a lot of like um moments of just pure silence in this movie and kind of characters mm. just staring and stuff like that and there's like a like the way the characters can treat each other sometimes and like the way like the sound design intentional or not kind of just like it does add like a little bit of tension to this movie that 
uh, I don't know. I don't think a lot of other filmmakers could bring out of this situation. Yeah. I think to remark upon what you're saying with the sound there, right from the beginning where it's like you see this like kind of downpour of rain, but you can sort of only hear the pittering of the raindrops mm. on the metal there. Oh, it like has a such a yeah. like a weird unsettling quality because you can see how much more rain there oh, is, yeah. but only hearing that sound. I, I honestly think Von Sternberg is like one of the great, early sound filmmakers mm-hmm. uh, the, in terms of sound design because it goes back to, I think, 1929. Is that when he made Thunderbolt, uh, which is, like, all set in one location? It's, like, very clearly, like, oh, we can talk now. Let's basically do a stage play, you know? But uh, he's still... It's, it's Von Sternberg. There's incredibly <laughs> uh, expressionistic imagery. And uh, even from that point, though, it seems like he's experimenting with the idea of sound and silence and just having a soundtrack to go along with his images is always something that he seems to be toying with, at least in the Sternberg films I've seen. I've only watched chronologically up to Shanghai Express so far, but I've seen all of the almost all of them multiple times now. Just to get into it, because I was thinking about, like, what's the plot of this movie? And it's so simple. It's maybe yeah. one of the simplest plots we've ever <laughs> had to describe. And uh, what the plot is, is that an Austrian Secret Service member sees Mar- basically spots Marlena Dietrich on the street. And, you know, he figures, you know, she, she could make a good... Uh, you know, spy, you know, spy seducing men because, you know, I want to fuck her. You know, I, I want I want it already. So, you know, and because uh, she says the line that, you know, she's not afraid of life or death, yeah. essentially. Yeah. Which is pretty sick. And then so basically she does just that and she effectively gets one guy and she wants to get the other guy, um, the other secret Russian spy, I should say that he was working with and this guy's a little bit more tough to crack and that's basically what goes on in the movie without giving away the end yeah it's very very simple she's recruited she has two jobs the first one takes five minutes the next one takes the next 45 minutes <laughs> uh but it's all in the details in the atmosphere oh, yes. For oh, uh, as, as usual for von Sternberg, I love how it opens, as you said, JT, with that rain pattering off of like a lamp on top of a roof, and you just have that shot followed by a shot uh, of we'll find out later that it's Marlena Dietrich, but just kind of of a leg, mm-hmm. <laughs> and then it kind of just has a longer shot uh, of Marlena just kind of turning around and facing the camera very briefly before it cuts to the next shot and it's just uh i mean the very next shot is a dead woman coming out of an apartment and it feels like so so lurid and kind of the most sleazy kind of like classic pre-code feeling that i remember from von sternberg uh that i've seen really other than maybe like underworld the silent film uh that this one definitely feels like the sleaziest at least in the opening and then later in some seduction based scenes no, yeah, it is. It, it's pretty explicit about, you know, it's, you know, it's sexuality. I mean, I guess it's not, you know, it's, there's no hot, juicy sex scenes, but it is, you know, the 1930s. But like, yeah, it is basically Dietrich is hired to seduce these these fellas. And yeah, I mean, it is like the I mean, talking about star power, I mean, Dietrich just has a certain swag about her and the way, you know, she carries herself kind of uh, just. Yeah, it is like a. 
kind of uh, very intimidating at the same time, but also just kind of like a, a real effortlessness too. And that's kind of maybe, you know, uh, builds up the intimidating factor. And it, it is a, it is a powerhouse performance. And like this movie is put on the shoulder. I mean, of course, when I say put on the shoulders acting wise, she's in like almost every scene, you know what I mean? It's a real powerhouse performance. So it is, yeah, you got Sternberg, you know, messing with the, the obfuscation. I re- I wrote down the phonetic sounding out of that word, obfuscation. Every because I can never say it on the podcast. <laughs> but uh, he's really, you know, he's obfuscating the the visuals, and you, you just have Dietrich kind of coming in and just uh, killing shit. So what a great tag team. Malcolm's phonics corner. <laughs> 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 that's the only way i could say that word no it's hey it man first. we I, I that's i appreciate that that's bringing honesty to the podcast uh i one thing one quality that i really like about the generally like bleak sleazy kind of depressing vibes about it is that like it's a movie about um world war one spying but I don't know. And I mean, I think this happens with like a lot of uh, World War One movies that were made sort of in the 30s is there's this impending sense of World War Two. I mean, I think it would be a little early to say that here. But I mean, certainly with like the stock market crash, you have this like real sense of gloom that like takes over in the film. Like even when I, I don't know, there's specific lines that allude to it that just sort of seem like the world is going to be trapped in this kind of darkness. Yeah, doesn't Dietrich say at one point to the Russian guy, like, hopefully next time our countries will be on the uh, the same side? Yeah, yeah. It's like, like I'll see like you in knowing, the next. Yeah, yeah hopefully you'll be on my side in the next war. That was exactly the line I was thinking of. But that comes after there's like you don't really see much of the war throughout most of the movie, but then there's that little montage sequence that's just like really intense and brutal. And I think that in terms of having this be an analog to cliff walkers that like just sort of glimpse of like real brutality Mm -hmm. really reminds me of like the torture that happens in that movie. Yeah, because von Sternberg has such a, like, kind of hot and heavy drama building, you know? You kind of forget that, I mean, the basis for this, the the morality of these people is that, like, people are dying all around them, and, you know, the world is kind of going to shit, and that's why the these people are acting this way, I guess. Uh, and so when he does show you, when von Sternberg does show you that 45 second to a minute montage of just pure brutality and just like tanks rolling through and shit, uh, it's, it's just a nice reminder of where you're at and a nice preview of how the movie's going to (laughs) end. Well, to speak to kind of, you know, the, I guess kind of the, the darkness and kind of maybe like the the fears of war that are kind of boiling in the background. I think that's what kind of makes uh, Victor McLaglin, the, you know, the male lead or in, in the movie, as he's referred to as Colonel Cranow, uh, I guess, but uh, um, his, he, like he, he loves to just deploy this sinister smile and like, and kind of in like with these, the way, you know, Sternberg kind of lights the movie, you know, it's kind of a dark movie. Sometimes you'll just get uh his smile kind of beaming through the darkness. And I think that is, it is kind of like the, the weirdest and most sinister thing you could do during these times is to have a big old smile on your face. And, uh, <laughs> I, and I guess Victor, you know, McLaglen, uh, 
wears that well. And it's, it's another fine, you know, acting performances, you know, from him as he's the guy who, you know, he doesn't want to get got, you know what I mean? I, I want exactly one, one scene that I, I, or one detail I found, you know, very great is when, um, I don't, I forgot exactly the circumstances, but it's like, he kind of like catches, uh, her, uh, Dietrich, you know, doing some spy shit. And he's like, Oh, you know, I'm gonna have to have you, you know, strip search. And, you know, she takes off a couple layers and then, you know, he realizes like, I can't have, if I strip her all the way down, I'm not going to be able to do my job. <laughs> <laughs> you got to think about professionalism first and foremost, when you're in these kind of situations i think that's what both of these films this week teach us really true but in terms of the double crossing and whatnot yeah so victor mclaughlin's character is i guess like uh posing as an austrian officer but is really like a russian colonel which i mean hey that's pretty deep undercover work making your way all the way up to being a colonel for another country good shit victor <laughs> So as as is demonstrated uh, by his actions, he is a very savvy and smart man. And he kind of proves that like Mar- Marlena, she was kind of hot shit coming in for a second. She got that first guy like nothing. She got this guy. She caught this dude <laughs> being a spy and he just immediately shot himself. Yeah. <laughs> and so she's like, OK, I, I'm the best spy in the world, you know. And then obviously you run into Victor McLaughlin, who is a much tougher nut to crack, as it were. Not, tougher not to bust as yeah, it were yeah I was gonna say um, uh, yeah, yeah. Vic, Victor said uh, uh, pussy overrated I, absolutely <laughs> he said money over everything yeah he's sticking to his job even if it's for his country it's still his job you know <laughs> but regardless <laughs> Oh, so they, they're basically caught in the stalemate now uh, as he has caught what she's doing. Uh, she kind of escapes, you know, kind of runs around with some different uh, disguises that don't work out too well. Uh, because, as, as we said, she is pretty new to this spy stuff. And she also kind of falls in love with him a little bit, or at least falls in lust with him, as so many of these Von Sternberg films demonstrate. And, uh, you know, maybe he feels slightly the same way about her, but it, it doesn't it doesn't really matter <laughs> because this is such like a fatalistic film. That's just like, yeah, you're going to have some you're going to have some nice good old times with a nice hottie at some point. But uh, everyone dies and it's a, it's a pretty brutal movie in a, in a brutal time period and brutal world. <laughs> Uh, basically she has a chance to lock him up when she's back to work, uh, at like, she's like in like a office full of spies wearing this leather jacket. She's like, yeah, I'm just in the office hanging out. Oh, there's, uh, Victor McLaughlin. Okay. Let's, let's bring him in. I'm going to, I'm going to take him myself. I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to get some truth out of this guy. And she basically just like, uh, is overcome once again by his swag and lets him escape And so for this, she is shot to death by a firing squad. And that that lead up to her getting shot to death is so incredible when she's playing piano and it's just like cutting between, not even cutting between, dissolving uh, the people, the soldiers lining up to shoot her to death while she's playing piano in that holding cell. Just fucking brilliant. There's so many long dissolves in this movie. Uh, But toward the end, he's really... 
uh, just laying it on in the best way possible. You also have that shot of her eyes darting back and forth across the room when she poisons uh, Victor McLaughlin the first time. That shot is then repeated in that kind of dissolved flashback mode toward the end too. And I don't know, Von Sternberg just knows the exact moments in this film uh, that are worth repeating, you know? And uh, the dissolve is a great way to do it. And I think the the dissolves either through flashback or to guide from one scene to another in this film are really beautiful. No, yeah, like given the the kind of the bleak nature of what's going on, you know, you kind of like her letting, uh, you know, old Victor go then kind of reminds you of what her, you know, kind of her position before was. She was, she was, I don't know, she, uh, I guess proved her loyalty to Austria in the first trick that you know Secret Service agent did to uh, prove her loyalty or whatever. But I don't know, like it, it's does she have much staked interest in like Austria doing well? Would you know would it be better just to save one life? You know, as you know, kind of the guard that escorts uh, her to you know her uh, her shooting ceremony kind of realizes. But you know, as he kind of gives an outcry of like. You know why? Why are we killing people? Why are we killing women? You know, what are we doing? And you know he's promptly kind of swept off because you know everyone here is ready to die. We don't need uh, any of that. Uh, you know, you know, kind of uh, liberal, liberal nonsense. Liberal yeah. nonsense. We can't be killing the hot chicks. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he might have been onto something there. So yeah, it Whoa, is. She is a dime. <laughs> <laughs> and it is. It is like uh, you know lines like uh, you know. A lot of men think of death as an old man. I think of death as a beautiful woman, you know, and it is, you know, that that's, that's as von Sternberg as it gets. No, yeah, exactly. So it is, it is kind of like, uh, Dietrich is kind of ready to die swag at the, at the, you know, as she kind of fixes her hair, you know, in this sword at, before, you know, she uses a sword as a mirror before execution, you know, kind of dresses up, makes sure she looks her best. There is kind of, I guess, you know, maybe I guess a nihilistic streak, maybe you could say, or something uh, to, you know, the way Dietrich acts. And it's just, I don't know, it's refreshing to see in like these, you know, kind of militaristic CIA uh, secret service setting. Well, I mean, I feel like with so much of the spy genre, a lot of it is like about um, musing on like the nature of like country affiliation and whether or not that is like significant or like meaningless. And this is just like, I don't know, boils down to like, I don't, I don't know. It doesn't fucking matter. They yeah. it's, it's very bleak in that sense where it's just like fucking people are going to die either way. Who cares what other side stands for? When she is executed, um, she does like ragdoll pretty hard. I kind of laugh because it just yeah. kind of looks like a, I don't know, just in a way like I, <laughs> it's probably wrong to laugh. Because it amuses it. you to watch women die. Yeah, uh, because yes, it's yes, yes. just funny I, in genre movies to see people's bodies flying when they get shot. Von Sternberg, mm -hmm. you had to laugh. Come on, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> Young thug voice. Uh, I hate when girls die. Sorry. It's so true. I do too. It's a sad <laughs> ending, but like when you when you've seen it before, yeah. you know it's happening. But it's a great movie, and it's better than a great movie. It's it's a pretty much a masterpiece. But I I, I like a couple of von Sternbergs a little more, so I'm holding out a little bit and going four and a half 
bullets on this one. Yeah, I'm gonna go four and a half bullets as well. Like, yeah, I think when I had um, originally watched this, I feel like I could kind of comfortably say that this was maybe my least favorite of like their collaborations. But like I said, now they're all kind of combining together. I can't really say that. And like on rewatch, this movie you know, uh, really impacted me. Like I kind of forgot like the severe ending. I might've, I might, the first watch might've been like a zone zone slash phone out. You know what I mean? I might've, I might've been an irresponsible watcher there, but uh, zoned out with the phone out. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, so yeah, I mean, as chief Keith taught me, you can't look at your phone and watch a movie at the same time. You just can't do so it. So true. Uh, so Yeah. You know, pay close attention while this is on screen. And yeah, I mean, it's I don't know. I Sternberg Dietrich, I as I've said, is it's pure candy for me at this point. It's it, they can do no wrong, and they didn't do wrong here. No, it is it is pure candy. I'm going uh, four and a half bullets as well. Nice dose of the six cents. I um, it's the perfect combination of morbid and sexy. Um. Yeah, I, we didn't even mention. I I think one of the most like crazy and like fun scenes is the party that happens oh, in the beginning, yeah. where oh. it's just those she seduces yeah. that guy with the goofy kazoo. Oh yeah, those <laughs> fucking streamers and balloons everywhere. That's insane. It, yeah, I don't know how you stage with all those things around. That is one of the most intricate like. Some of the most intricate mise-en-scene I've seen from Joseph von Sternberg is that streamer-laden party. Yeah. Also, Dietrich outfit, and, you know, throughout the rest of the movie, but that outfit's fucking insane with the helmet yeah. that covers her face. That shit looks cool as fuck. Like, that's, yeah. that's some good-ass shit. I, I, I like... <laughs> Not to be all, oh, my favorite outfit was, uh, but uh, we can talk about the afraid, outfits. We're afraid to sound gay here. Yeah. That's, that's, <laughs> uh, 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 look, I like the outfits, okay? No, this isn't a fucking costume co po podcast. <laughs> no, but what I was going to say, the, uh, the the cool jacket toward the end when she l basically lets him go uh, toward the end. Uh, I don't know why it reminded me of like a 50s cop movie or something like that. <laughs> but regardless email segment everybody's favorite segment sorry malcolm in the middle i know, <laughs> I know but email segment i think this week uh we have three so that proves that it's everyone's favorite extended clip podcast at gmail.com is where you reach us this one's from our old friend ryan kelly email it says new political theory do you guys think Joe Biden's son, Bo, who died, was reborn in the form of a White House dog, uh, Major Biden? Major. <laughs> <laughs> when the dog attacks people, is he protecting his dad from danger like some spirit animal guardian angel? Something to chew on. Peace. <laughs> you know what? That's a sweet thought. You know, I never I never really thought it like that before. But yeah, maybe Bo is in the old White House, you know, kind of keeping his eye on old Joe because Joe's a little older. You know what I mean? He might miss a step here and there. And if, you know, Major Biden is there to help him, you know, guide him along the way, you'd have to think that's some sort of uh, spiritual connection from heaven or something like that. So, yeah, you know, Major Biden, that's like that's kind of like it sounds like an insult. It's like that guy's a Major Biden, but uh, not not on this podcast. Of course, we love Biden, but. Uh, speaking of president's dogs, <laughs> didn't Obama's dog just die? Yeah, rest in peace, man. 
Yeah, Fuck. man. I'm. I know. A lot of people were really. A lot of people were really hurt by that. You know, like um, a lot of people were really vicious online. You know, and very insensitive to like uh, you know, the first the farmer first dog that is um. You know, so you know, <laughs> you gotta bring, bring respect back to the office. Gone? Where is the compassion gone for a poor dog that I'm sure our president walked every day <laughs> while he was in office? I mean, yeah, a good boy. Enough said. <laughs> good boy. Enough said, man. Our next email cut. You know, they don't talk about Trump's dogs. Oh, oh, he, hey, did Eddie, he have dogs? Eddie, did he have I dogs? don't think so. No. Yeah. Good. Um, I, yeah. You know, you work a do- you work a job like that. You can't have a dog. No, yeah, exactly. Dogs gotta you gotta take care of a dog. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Sorry, I just, it's my you know people who work like crazy jobs. Like you know, like you gotta take care of your dog. JT, you know what I'm well, talking about. Well, they're not doing. They're let me tell you this, buddy. They're not doing dick all in the White House. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> That's true. He could be fucking his dog in there all day. <laughs> Those jokers can't get anything done. They're all playing with their damn dogs. Why would you bring like a dog into the White House? What if he like shits on like Abraham Lincoln's chair or some shit? That seems kind of hectic. Oh man, you cut out for a little bit there, but I think I got what you were putting down. <laughs> Our next one comes from jack hansen and it says malcolm does it again oh wow wow yo shout out to malcolm for posting american terrorist by rx nephew on twitter that song goes hard fantastic piece of music no questions just respect yeah well all right speak about this song and you know i'm gonna go music mode a little bit i mean um you know, I feel like as I grow older, I check out less and less new music. But, you know, thankfully this year, I did kind of find these two rappers um, due to a friend, my boy John, if you're listening, shout out. Um, but he kind of put me onto these rappers, RX Nephew, RX Poppy. And these guys have numerous songs that are just like, like anywhere from like five to 20 minutes long that are just kind of like stream of conscious freestyle kind of just whatever's on their mind type shit definitely reminiscent of little b but it's like it's kind of going for maybe shock factor a little edgy factor more and yeah american terrorist is uh just a song that goes so many different places within its span of 10 minutes it's 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 very you know funny it's very heartfelt it's very sad you know it, it pretty much all the rainbow a rainbow of emotions <laughs> and uh <laughs> and it's it you know what i mean if, i feel like if you like the type of movies we're talking about here kind of you know i feel like maybe you know kind of like a maybe a movie that's a little bit you know rough around the edges but it shows a lot of character has a lot of ideas on its mind i feel like you might enjoy their music so check it out wow a, a hearty recommendation <laughs> in malcolm's music corner um, <laughs> so Malcolm arguments. has all the fucking segments. <laughs> 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 Multiplex <laughs> minute, <laughs> money Malcolm, Malcolm in the middle. Where's my piece of the fucking pie? <laughs> you gotta bring them. Uh, you gotta bring it. Uh, uh, Malcolm's invented all these segments, <laughs> other than Malcolm in the middle. Hey but that man, was the first one. Hey man, if you want to eat, you gotta bring a plate and fork. That's all I gotta say. <laughs> <laughs> um. Our next email uh, comes from Meredith. It says, email, hey, boys, what are your ideal movie watching conditions, alone or with people, time of day, setting, etc.? Hope you all are having a good day. Your friend, Meredith, 
Now, I don't know anyone by that name, so going to challenge you on that one. But <laughs> Hey, we are your friends, like Efron that, said. The title of that episode was We Are Not Your Friends, if you remember correctly. It's called Reverse Psychology. <laughs> That's true. It's yeah. If, the, if you listen to the pod, you're my friend. But <laughs> That's all I wanted you to say. Yeah, in my uh, in my old childhood bedroom that I only recently moved out of, I had really nice blackout shades. I no longer have that set up. So uh, certain times of the day, don't quite cut the mustard. Can't quite get a dark enough room going. I really like watching movies early in the day. So, you know, if I get up at like 6 or 7, have a cup of coffee, maybe eat a little something, get a movie going by like 8, um, I'm feeling good. Ideal movie watching conditions with Eddie and Malcolm were completely buck ass naked <laughs> and we're all getting top from three beautiful ladies. <laughs> little group, group session. Little group session. I was about to have I want no part of that. <laughs> we're in the theater too. <laughs> okay, okay. Wait a second. Okay. Now we're negotiating. Is it 35 millimeter or DCP? Oh, oh, oh it's 35 millimeter, of course. I, I really don't want to take place in this, but we can be like maybe two. I just miss two going to the movies with each. my boys. <laughs> same row, same row. We gotta do same row at least. Same row, like when same we, row, of course. Like but when like, me and Malcolm saw Ma and sat like three seats apart. <laughs> hey, that's just what my parents taught me. That's what my parents taught me. So. If I'm weird, wait. Would you? Know. Would your parents sit apart, three yes. seats apart from Not each three other? Three seats, but the, a seat, a seat. <laughs> That's so weird. That I don't know. I just like with the significant other, you cuddle up next. I mean, hey man, they they've been together for a minute, man. They're, they 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 get it. They get it. Right? <laughs> they've they've. I think they. Yeah. I don't need to go into that. But uh, <laughs> what's your ideal movie watching conditions? I, I was going to say in something. between both of your parents <laughs> on the couch, <laughs> getting top. Uh, no, no, I was going to I was I was going to say something like that, JT. But you definitely said it better. <laughs> so I will give a somewhat serious answer. In that, um, given my current, I do like watching movies with people. Watching movies with people, and watching movies alone is kind of like a different thing for me. So it's like, I don't know. But like, I guess. I guess I, the ideal movie situation is kind of like uh, um, I wake up and, you know, none of my like like my roommates are either not there or asleep usually. And I go to the living room and I use their big 4K TV and I watch some good shit on that. So that that's always a good time. Nice. Do you got to do you got to be quiet with the sound when, when they're still asleep or do you bump headphones sometimes? I've never I've never done that before because I've, I've heard you talk about that, like wear a pair of headphones while watching a movie. I've never done that before. I should give it a try. But uh, you got to do it. Not, no, no, not usually. I'll just I'll just keep it. I don't know. The TV's far enough away from the bedrooms usually to where I could, uh, I don't know, get away with some decent volume. But yeah, Malcolm lives in a TikTok mansion. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Trust me. Hype house part two. <laughs> Yeah, I, I mean, solo viewing is definitely different than group. Like, if I'm going to be a studious viewer, that is what I want, what I yeah. described earlier. You know, 8 in the morning, sun isn't quite creeping in uh, to my room yet, even if it's not, you know, the sun's out or whatever. And, uh, you know, just a fresh mind for the day, you know, and I can chew on the movie the rest of the day if I want to write about it or something like that or podcast about it. Um. But I like watching movies with friends early evening, maybe, uh, you know, order up a pizza, throw on a comedy uh, and just chill with my boys and girls. 
I like going to the theater with friends. I think that's like the, yeah. that's the preferred venue for watch. Like watching the movie with friends on the couch is nice, but I like in the theater. You're all silent. I'm just curious. I wonder what my friends thinking about this movie too. You go to a diner afterwards. You get that's some true. cups of coffee going. You talk about the movie. Yeah, I like that. That's I like that too. That's a good experience. Yeah, you know. What? I also just really like going to the movie theater by myself, though. That's honestly, it's nice. No, no shade against you guys. Like, I know we've been like good friends and doing this podcast for like years now, and it's about movies, and we've still only seen a few movies together, which mm-hmm. is pretty funny. Uh, but uh, like in the theater, at least. Well, I mean, COVID like, happened. Well, yeah, yeah but we also <laughs> like. <laughs> I, I don't know what I'm talking about now. Then fuck it. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> I watch a movie late night though. Uh, just to kind of, sometimes like I don't know like if I'm like I said like I just I'm having a night in like sometimes a good movie at ten ten that night like that's a good way to cap off the day or something. I can't do that anymore, dude. I if I fall asleep or rather if I start a movie past like uh like eight. I'm falling asleep. I'm conking. Well, I'm not quite conking out, but I know I'm like, I feel it and I just can't do it anymore. Yeah. And I have to turn the movie off and, you know, finish it the next day. Ain't nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that. Is there something wrong with that? There's nothing wrong with that. I mean, personally, I I, kind of don't like breaking movies up into separate viewings. So if I feel like I'm not going to finish a movie, I just abandon it. I'm not going to watch that for a couple of years. Damn. (laughs) <laughs> I, I well when I watched more movies at night I definitely broke more up into separate viewings but yeah I generally try not to I'll I'll take a if it's a longer movie though like uh if it's pushing two and a half sometimes I'll just go hour in give myself an intermission make a meal take a walk come back to it uh nice way to pace it out that's, a little that's good and that's that's a little bit different to me than like I don't know like going an hour in and then finishing an hour the next day because it's still like kind of yeah, separate day de- yeah separate yeah. day or if you watch another movie or a tv show in between i can't do that yeah that 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 like separate day i can literally only do if i like stop the movie because i'm falling asleep and then watch it the first thing i lay eyes on uh the next day mm-hmm. <laughs> but maybe out there uh you listeners watch movies in a normal way it's possible it's very possible that they might do that although if i had to guess that's probably not the case damn malcolm you keep throwing <laughs> up the rock uh, 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 the this is my, can't see my, malcolm throwing up the rock right now great visual gag this is like my nervous like cute shy boy face like i'm hiding behind <laughs> my hands like, uh, what <laughs> Oh God! Um, you know that hand sign is also Illuminati, which is like what proves that he is the Illuminati. Coastal anyway. elites, baby, that's what we are. <laughs> Next week on the podcast, uh, I think I'm pulling one out of my back pocket that we've had. We've talked about this double feature before um, over the years. I feel like, and just finally got to pull the trigger on it. Just I, I can't wait. Eric Romare's. Love in the Afternoon, and Chris Rock's I Think I Love My Wife. I'm excited for this one because I've always been very curious about 
I think I love my wife and it being a Roma remake. So I'm ready to go. Yeah, this is like one of the I think there are a, a handful of episodes we have where it's like a built in double feature. Yeah, it's like locked and loaded all set for us. Yeah, Chris and this, Rock and Louis C.K. Uh, writing the script for a Love in the Afternoon American remake is just like how are how, how are we 106 episodes in and like we haven't done that yet. You know, that one's going to be a layup. It's yeah. so fucking easy. <laughs> I'm not going to write any notes. The one I had from my notes, uh, th- I found the notes app when I was first like trying to come up with the show with you guys. Like, uh, I found the uh, other- something like that recently, too. Sorry, but go yeah. ahead. Uh, the one that we still haven't done that I've considered every single time it's been my time to pick is uh, Breathless and the American remake of Breathless. Ooh. Uh, mainly just because I don't want to talk about Breathless because like how many times can you talk about that movie? Yeah. But I really want to watch Breathless with, is it Richard Gere? It is. Yeah. Oh, it I is. Do, I do. We need to. <laughs> Dr. T in a Godard movie? No, but um, no. Yeah, I found I found a document like that too where just like I was like, I'm going to keep a list of double features and like I stopped doing that. But there are some good ones on there. And Good preview of what's to come. Yeah, but just, I want to I want to give. We got some hot shit coming out. I want to give this one away because I I remember I had a choice of uh, an episode when it was like near 9-11 and I had the perfect funniest like 9-11 episode and I forgot it, but it was going to be United 93 and Soul Plane. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that good? Yeah. yeah maybe, we'll, maybe we'll just do that this September too. Yeah, uh, that's that's a little preview of one to come. Bye.